Welcome to Inspiration from American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is about the 1980s in America. The 1980s witnessed a continuing outgrowth of the philosophies of the 70s, but with greater intensity. American culture became more hardened to traditional values. Not only were adults more sexually experimental and promiscuous, their mores filtered down to the youngest Americans, who imitated pop idols like Madonna and MTV videos. Both flaunted a flagrant in-your-face sexuality. Punk rock took this to lurid levels. During that time, the church was no longer a fortress against the outside world. It was being transformed by the culture, rather than setting the pace for it. Because God was increasingly viewed apart from any sense of accountability or judgment, many believers didn't worry about the penalty for their own loosened moral standards. Parachurch organizations emerged to combat the growing permissiveness and vulgarity of American society. Among these was the Reverend Jerry Falwell's Moral Majority, a politically active group that helped deliver the evangelical vote for Ronald Reagan in the 1980 presidential election. Also gaining in strength were Pat Robertson's Christian Broadcast Network, including CBN University, renamed Regent University in 1989, the Christian Coalition, and James Dobson's Focus on the Family. Mainline Protestant churches fared especially poorly during this period. From 1965 to 1990, they lost between one-fifth and one-third of their members. One study concluded, Never before had any large religious body in this country lost members steadily for so many years. The more liberal fellowships were not providing clear-cut, compelling answers to questions concerning the meaning of life, nor were they holding their members accountable. Although evangelical Christian churches and various forms of media oriented to that audience grew strongly, in the secular media, Christians were under constant attack and often ridiculed. CNN, the first 24-hour news network, emerged in the 80s. It was owned by Ted Turner, who openly held Christians in contempt, calling theirs a religion for losers. On the other networks, a steady diet of anti-Christian stories stoked the fires of American resentment toward them. Whereas once society had regarded the church as a necessary component of maintaining high moral standards, now its leaders were increasingly viewing it as an obstacle to people doing just whatever they wanted, with whomever they wanted, whenever they wanted. Hollywood tended to portray Christians in a negative way, as well as heaven in a more secular manner. 
In films like Field of Dreams and Ghost, people with unresolved issues got stuck between death and the hereafter. In Field of Dreams, a voice whose source was never identified instructed an Iowa farmer to build a ball field on his property, so the suspended, deceased members of the 1919 Chicago White Sox could play ball again. Never did the farmer wonder if the voice was God. There didn't seem to be a God in his world, except in the minds of some painfully narrow-minded townspeople who threatened to burn classical works of literature that they found objectionable, those whom the farmer's wife dubbed Nazis. When one of the ballplayers asked if the mystical field was heaven, the farmer laughed and said, Heaven is the place where dreams come true. In spite of the unpopularity of Christianity in the mainstream culture of the 80s, most Americans considered themselves spiritual and sought new ways to satisfy their urge to connect with God apart from traditional churches or synagogues. New Age religion fulfilled that desire in many ways. Beginning in the 70s, in fringe groups promoting astrology, UFO sightings, crystals, and auras, by the 80s, New Age spirituality had become much more sophisticated. It was syncretistic, a spiritual smorgasbord from which an individual could select whatever of its aspects were most beneficial to him or her. Among those were astrology and the occult, the use of crystals as power sources for healing and energy, channeling spirit guides, belief in reincarnation and karma, secret knowledge, Eastern mysticism, and pantheism. New Age adherents fit beautifully into American society as they sought a religion that would nurture their spirits without making moral demands. As in Star Wars with its nebulous force, this religion was big on relationships and emotion, while disdaining any kind of final judgment. Everyone would get to a perfect place known as heaven, not necessarily the Christian concept of it, because everyone was basically good and everyone was basically God. Therefore, there was no need for any kind of punishment or hell. The Jesuit John L. Thomas once said, To deny the existence of hell is implicitly to deny the need for redemption. Jesus, then, was seen as one of several holy men who came to reveal God to humanity, a great prophet and teacher, but not the Savior Christians made him out to be. In the early part of the 20th century, modernists swept clean the miraculous element in Christian belief, casting doubts on God's supernatural activity. By the 80s, however, many Americans were instead filling their lives with mediums, horoscopes, crystals, and channeling in order to discover more about and direct their futures. 
People, it seems, have an innate need to connect with the wonder-working, supernatural, awesome God, and if they do not, they will fill that desire with substitutes. It's interesting to see how the media covered and people responded to the deaths of various people during this jumbled period. It was a time when some Christians still had a strong Orthodox belief, others had doubts, and many more Americans began to think in completely different ways about the afterlife. The man who asked people to imagine life without heaven, hell, or religion, John Lennon, was shot to death on the night of December 8, 1980, outside his New York apartment building. Mourners quickly gathered around the world to pay their respects. Lennon's widow, Yoko Ono, announced that there would be no funeral, but instead a brief vigil on the 14th, in which people could observe 10 minutes of silence and pray for him and for the world. It is estimated that millions did so globally, including around 100,000 who congregated in Central Park, where the service ended with a playing of Imagine over loudspeakers. It wasn't clear to what God they had been praying, but one small sign held by a fan confidently proclaimed, John Lennon lives. Late on the morning of January 28, 1986, the space shuttle blasted off from its launch pad at Cape, pa- Cape Kennedy. Just a little over one minute into its ascent, the Challenger exploded to the horror of those who had enthusiastically cheered its journey including the parents of the first teacher in space, Krista McAuliffe. Seven astronauts perished that day, and the nation went into a concert of grief, to borrow Sidney Alstrom's phrase, that lasted for days as the disaster replayed constantly over the airwaves. President Reagan was preparing for that night's State of the Union address when he heard the news, but instead he spoke to the nation that afternoon about the disaster. In his moving speech, he quoted a sonnet by an American serviceman who had died in World War II. The president said, We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning, as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Memorial services were held in communities around the country, and Americans flew their flags at half-staff in honor of the astronauts. In the towns and cities in which the seven had been raised, there were also services in their honor. At one for Krista McAuliffe, her fellow teacher Charles Basado remarked, Krista McAuliffe is infinite because she is in our hearts. Ohio Governor Richard Celeste told Judith Resnick's parents at a service at Akron's Temple Israel. She knew she would be at home in space, and she was, and she is. The Reverend Jesse Jackson told mourners of Ron McNair, he belongs to the ages now. 
At the main memorial service for all seven in Houston, President Reagan referred to God's promise of eternal life as if the astronauts had all believed in Christ. He said, Dick, Mike, Judy, L, Ron, Greg, and Krista, your families and your country mourn your passing. We bid you goodbye. We will never forget you. For those who knew you well and loved you, the pain will be deep and enduring. A nation, too, will long feel the loss of her seven sons and daughters, her seven good friends. We can find consolation only in faith, for we know in our hearts that you who flew so high and so proud now make your home beyond the stars, safe in God's promise of eternal life. There was a subtle implication in the understandably poignant tributes to the astronauts that those good, brave, and dedicated public servants could not have gone anywhere else but to a good and loving God in heaven. It was obvious that the majority of Americans still felt their need of God and the promise of a better life to come at a time such as that. Thank you for joining me for Inspiration from American History. I'm Rebecca Price Janney.